Hey, this is Rob Rodriguez. And Jason Latour, and you're listening to The Amazing Spider Talk. Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog. Thanks for joining us for our newest special episode of Spider Talk and their amazing friends. Yeah, this is exciting, right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mark, who do we have on the show today? Yeah, well, we have some pretty amazing friends. I, I, I would say that... Uh, Face it, Tiger, we hit the jackpot with these two. Um, yeah, you know, we have to work that joke in at least a dozen times, I think, for this interview. Uh, we, we have spoken with the creative duo behind Edge of Spider-Verse number two, Spider-Woman, a.k.a. Spider-Gwen, uh, Jason Latour uh, and Robbie Rodriguez. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about you know, the, the phenomena that is Spider-Gwen right now. This, this character has really taken over, it seems like, right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even before the book came out, there was all this buzz about it. Yeah, and, and you know, I think, you know, we haven't done a straight-up review of the book yet, but, you know, I think we both are in agreement that it was a pretty pretty cool uh, introduction to this character. So, uh, you know, we hope you all enjoy what, what we got here, and, and we, we hope that we do, in fact, hit the jackpot with this interview. And as with all of our shows, if you hear this sound... Please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. Well, let's get right into it and, uh, and continue our conversation with Jason and Robbie. Jason Latour. Say hi, Jason. Hi, Jason. <laughs> and Robbie, Robbie Rodriguez. Hi, Robbie. <laughs> and we are, they are the creative duo behind uh, Edge of Spider-Verse number two, the, the Gwen Stacy Spider-Woman, or, or Spider-Gwen, as people seem to be uh, calling it. Um, and, and we're very thankful you guys are here. And, you know, I thought, uh, in talking about this comic, that actually we uh, would start at the very, very end since, you know, this comic came out uh, a week ago as we're recording this. And, you know, the, the reaction to this thing has just been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, you know, you got people calling for an ongoing. You have uh, the Married with Sea Monsters doing a cover of Mary Jane's Face It Tiger song. I mean, 
were you guys? I mean, could you guys have ever predicted that the, this reaction to this comic? Uh, let's go, with Jason, first on that. Um, no. <laughs> uh, well, paying attention to the internet, like it, it did seem as if there was some sort of groundswell um, moving around the character design and the character, just the concept of the story. Um, so I wasn't completely unprepared for people, uh, people's reaction. I am a little surprised that people have loved it as much as they have, just because, you know, you write a, you start, you write monthly comics for a living and you really can't predict what people are going to, um, what people are going to, uh, react to, you know, uh, every time I send in a script, I usually, uh, I generally feel pretty good about it. There's times when you, you know, when you think like, oh, I wish I had a, a couple more days or, or, you know, conversely, there's times where you feel like you nailed it. And generally, like, you you learn pretty quickly that, like, you can't predict how an audience is going to receive a thing. So you kind of have to write it for you and for the creative team as much as possible. So in that regard, like, I felt good about it when it left my desk. And I felt even better about it when Robbie and Rico's pages started coming in. But um, just being a one-shot sort of... Uh, I didn't expect it to have as much um, traction as it's gotten, um, but I was hopeful for that traction um, because I know we both, all three of us, and Nicolo, our editor, all really, really enjoyed working on it. Um, and we, I, know, I can't speak for Robbie, but I know it was very exciting to like watch like a community start to grow around this character, like even before the issue was out. So it was really gratifying, like that people have. Um, seem to enjoy what we did and that it really lived up to these sort of, or I'm hopefully, hopefully it worked, lived up to these sort of, you know, huge expectations. Yeah. Well, I, um, it's like, I had expectations about it, but I didn't realize how big it was going to be in general. So I knew we had something cool in general. Once me and Jason started talking about it quite a bit and I knew we had like lightning in a bottle and I didn't realize that like, once we cracked that bottle, how huge it broke out at that time. <laughs> so it was, it was just a matter of just, because uh, I knew it was like, and part of it, like, even like, it was inside baseball, I don't mind saying this, like the whole, like, like the, the whole, like, song with it, that was my idea too, just to market it as a gorilla way with it in general. Well, uh, you knew, you knew uh, I think Rob, Robbie. <clears throat> knew the married with sea monsters people he's done a lot they're like friends is so he's done yeah. a lot of stuff with them in the past and i think um did you show them like the preview pages and they just got excited about it well i showed a few pages and then i was selling a concept with it and then the whole thing was like i commissioned them the whole song <laughs> because i wanted them i wanted a f- and i tell i much like we learned from f- uh wolverine it's kind of like i just kept you away from this so you have like uh, enough uh, deniability. It's like, oh, I have nothing to do with the sh- in general. <laughs> well, that's not a, I mean, that's not an issue. I think, but I do think it was really cool that uh, that all came together the way it did. Yeah, like it is, yeah. but it, that was part of the whole like me self marketing on this book in general because we have one shot with this, and uh, you know we were talking before like uh, I just left FEP and I got tired of you know I really want to push as 
I want to push the uh, push the limits of what I can do with the big two. So it's got a point like, all right, so I'm gonna, and I told Jason before, it was like one drunk at night. I was walking home from a bar drunk at night. I text him real quick. He's like, hey, Matt, hey Jason, I'm going to do a fun song with Mary Sea Monsters. And I think he kind of passed it off for a bit. But to me, like to me, for me to push the project to feel just not just as a corporate gig and feel something personal if I just if I can market it as something of my own. And that's what the whole thing would do with the Sea Monster thing and treating this project as my own entity. And then it became just an entity between Jason and Enrico at us. It's like pure, like it's just a uh, an entire project that we feel personal about that pushes our personal limits about it with it. And that's the entire thing I want to push it with it. And that was the whole thing behind the entire guerrilla marketing with it. It's like not just the costume design. And I kept doing the Instagram stuff, just keep posting, posting, and posting as far as like um, over and over again as I'm working on the project in general. And that was the whole in my quasi way guerrilla marketing for this book. And, I, and honestly, I, it kind of connected with it. It connected with the audience, connected with a generation that that's probably like 15 years behind me, but I still connected with them. And it, it kind of caught on. Yeah, you know, it's 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 funny that you mentioned you know kind of these these guerrilla marketing efforts because I you know one of the things I wanted to ask you too about is I mean you're you're both you, you both work on creator owned projects um, so to kind of transition to this you know to one of the big two even though it's kind of this like standalone isolated you know property here I mean you know the, I mean this was this was you know designed to be a one shot I mean whether it'll evolve into something bigger we'll see. Um, so like, how was that in terms of your process? I mean, you know, beside, beyond, beyond the song, I mean, were there other things that, um, that you did that you, how you approached the story differently? I mean, in terms of, you know, creatively or marketing or whatever that, you know, that you were able, able to kind of borrow from your, um, from what you've been doing on, on the independent scene. I knew from the start that I really, uh, that this project had to like count on its own, um, the idea of Gwen Stacy um, coming back was, for me, a thing that when I grew up, that was a cardinal rule. That was a thing that you weren't supposed to do. You weren't supposed to bring Gwen Stacy back. So I knew that on some level that um, that uh, that was stacked against us. And the other side of it was is that, you know, it's essentially a what-if story. Um, those are two things that in traditional, like, sort of comic book thinking, you're not supposed to really care about. Um, but I knew the only way to make people care about it was to sort of give it our all and to sort of try and put a team together that I felt like, um, would do that. So, you know, when Robbie's talking about like investing uh, 110% into something, I think that's absolutely what we tried to do. Um, the benefit of like working at a, on an image or a creator own book is that you, I think a lot of times those things stand out because the team's have a nice working history and feel more hand in glove. And I knew with Robbie and Rico that, um, those are two guys that I've known for such a long time that, um, <clears throat> that it w- we would have a much better chance of succeeding and a much better chance of, uh, really putting something worth reading onto the paper and not like having it just be sort of a disposable. What if Gwen Stacy story? So how did you guys get connected with this project? You know, Dan Slott has said that he's had very little to do with, 
the uh, the Edge of the Spider Verse titles. So, did you pitch this idea, or did someone Mar- at Marvel come to you guys about it? It was sort of a combination of things. Um, uh, as I said, you know, like Gwen Stacy was an idea that I don't think uh, bringing back Gwen Stacy was an idea that when I was a kid was a thing that like you were supposed to not do, you know. Um, so when Nick first essentially initially started talking to me about it, he he mentioned it a couple of times. And I had this other idea that was I was really in love with, which was sort of uh, Uncle Ben and Peter Parker together as Spider Man. Um, yeah. Uh- I think we're going to do like a follow-up with that, with our uh, Spider-Man with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they had, um, and they really liked that, but there was something like that possibly coming down the pipe. And and Nick kept mentioning, um, or he had mentioned it twice in passing. And then I, one day I just called him up and I said, uh, you know, that Spider, <laughs> that uh, Gwen Stacy character, is that still up for grabs? Because I think I really want to do that story. But I think if I do that story, like that's such a um, a loaded kind of thing that uh, I really would want to make sure I have the the, the right artist and the, the right colorist on it because I, I would really want this to feel modern and feel like a thing that that exists in an, in the zeitgeist that uh, you know and, and and affects people who like Gwen Stacy or want Gwen Stacy to be more than a plot point. Now I don't want it to feel like a disposable what if story you know i mean and when you were when you were thinking with the gwen character i mean were you were you leaning on more her character from the comics or what what we've been getting from um emma stone in the movies or or i mean i mean or just total blank slate and just doing your own thing with it well for my part uh, um and i'll answer first because i think a lot of where where i started sort of informed, hopefully informed where Robbie was going with it. Yeah, we, uh, yeah we, have, we have two, like, different, like, aspects that come to it that kind of combine in general. So, but go ahead and go, Jason. Um, it was important to me. There were two things that were really important to me about the story. And one was, like, one was, I think that there's a whole generation of people who don't under, who I'm not here to make the case for or against the death of Gwen Stacy, but I think there's a whole lot of people who have grown up or have recently come to Spider-Man comics that, that that death is not so easy to swallow. Um, uh, if you're even of my age, Gwen Stacy was always just sort of a plot point. And I knew that going into the project. And so I really felt like it was important that she be a character that, um, stand on her own two feet, have her own personality and is her own character independent of Peter Parker. But I also knew that like the theme of the story was, uh, how does the Spider-Man mythos impact like alternate reality characters or different versions of Spider-Man? How does like being Spider-Man hold up in a different universe? You know? Um, so it was as simple as like, uh, sitting back and thinking about like, the original conceit of Gwen Stacy being a, a girl that went to school with Peter Parker and uh, was a, had her own family life, her father that was a police captain, had all these things that going on in her life that were different than Peter Parker's. What's the common bond like once you become Spider-Man? Um, so it was really like kind of a two, twofold thing. Uh, I approached it the same way that I would approach like any new character. 
I just happened to have sort of a, a set of parameters that, you know, uh, uh, could kind of fence in the ideas and focus them. If that makes any sense. And from there, you know, it was like the second part of the, or the third part of the project was or same page with Robbie. And one of the things that we really wanted to do visually with the book was make it feel new, but also like to treat Spider Woman with the same sort of mystery or um, edge that like the original like Spider-Man Ditko uh, stuff had uh, where Spider-Man, you know, was a masked, a masked character that you don't really isn't easily recognized. <laughs> you know, isn't every other Spider-Woman character has been sort of recognizable by their ponytail and their, you know, the, the aspects that make them feminine. And I really thought like it was important that we keep her just as uh Interesting visually as Spider-Man was. So uh, uh, going off of that, Robbie, uh, you know, what's your process like for developing a character's costume or design? The characters, that was basically just me. I just want to make something so different. That was an aspect different, completely different, like the Spider-Man mythos. Because me and Jason talked about for like Jason, we had a conversation before where like I'm not the biggest superhero fan in general. And when they said they want us to do Spider Woman like thing, I, was, I told Nick before email, I was like, I'm not drawing that f-ing costume in general. I'm redesigning it. <laughs> you so mean it's Drew costume. It's just Drew costume. Yes, like, I'm not fucking doing that fucking costume. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it, honestly, it just, it's like, I, I've seen super costumes. Like, a lot of stuff needs to, like, like, um, these hip, hip quite a bit up. And, Going there is like just looking at like the cosplay elements and just um, just the recent like Japanese elements of like fashion and whatnot and European fashion. What I want to imply some of that. And even though in the back of my head it's kind of like as uh, I designing the uh, costume, it's like, oh god, what if uh, if Corey Walker had a, had a chance of redesign Spider Woman, what would he do? That was the entire aspect to me when I was doing that costume. But in order for just, but part of it is just add more of an urban element to it. And also at the, uh, as Jason talked before, like, um, I want to bring a more, um, a more dimension of what someone who would be in a costume, what would they actually wear into it? And that's why, and that's what pulled the entire dimensions essentially with it. And early on, like me and Jason were talking, we were like throwing up designs for like a good two days about the costume and like, it was kind of, kind of whack for a bit. And then all of a sudden, it's like one day I just kind of threw it up there, and it's like it's like I think I got it at that point. And it was yeah. just more. It was just more just thinking of a point where, in a way, it's kind of like it's every every ex girlfriend I've had, and every female friend I've had, girlfriend I've had, but female friend girlfriend I was like, if they were superhero, this is what this is what they wear, and that's what locked that in at that point. Yeah, a lot of um, a, a lot of what I I felt like Robbie really achieved with that was like like he said like trying to come up with something striking that sort of stood as its own. I think uh, like I don't know, just to my eye, a lot of characters that are third, second, or third generation versions of uh, of um, of existing heroes, like they end up sort of copying the motif of the other characters to a fault. Um, 
So, you know, like my, I don't know how you guys feel. You guys are bigger spider yeah. fans maybe than, than anybody here, but yeah. <laughs> like me, I grew up with, I grew up with the black costume, you know? Yeah. But to me, I've always been a big fan of the, the black, the simplicity of the black and white costume. And one of the reasons why I think that costume works so well is because it, it adheres to the basic concept of Spider-Man, but also, you know, is a very striking and, uh, uh, design-driven costume. Yeah, it's, it's kind of. I can't imagine what what a Steve, Steve Dicko was thirty in the f-ing year two thousand, yeah. and he designed a costume. That was like another mindset with it when I was designing it. <laughs> yeah, and again, you know, like the the choice to cover her face and cover her head, I think, yeah, uh, are a big deal. Um, you know, to to whatever degree, like <clears throat> women in the Spider Universe are generally their defining characteristic visually is that they are women, you know, and with this, um, you know, I knew Robbie could pull off, uh, making her girl that has personality and life. Um, and so the issue was like, how does she stand on her own as a superhero? Yeah. This, this, uh, design for this character came out almost like the same time that that spider woman cover came out. And it was like this striking, you know, a difference between the two designs for, you know, the way that women are portrayed in comic books. Um, so I, I was really thankful to see your guys' design. Thanks, man. Well, you know, and you also have to keep in mind, like, <clears throat> I don't know, like, a pet peeve of mine is the, like, over-sexualization in general is kind of problematic, but it's a real problem for me when it's um, teenage girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and we're dealing with a character that's probably 19 or 20, you know, like at the oldest uh, she's very early in, in college. Um, so it just felt like most of the cliches or tropes that things that come pro- become problematic in stories about female superheroes are that you always emphasize on their sexuality or their love life or, you know, and I felt like on, on every angle, we wanted this character to stand on its own and, and um, have the same kind of problems and and presentation that Spider Man might have if he were new in 2014, you know. Yeah, it's pretty much such a like you know, even though it is a corporate gag, pretty much kind of treat her as our own like create our own character, pretty much with this thing. So it's pretty much it's our own like it's our to me, Jason. It's like it's our own voice on this character. So who's uh, Robbie? I'm guessing it was your idea to set this in kind of a, like pseudo punk rock universe. As a quasi, a little bit like um, Jason. Well, like uh, he, he he brought the idea of the, doing the band stuff. Yeah, well, I knew Robbie. What Robbie was into, I've known Robbie for ten years. You know, and it just seemed to me like <clears throat> uh, you want to give a character something that's interesting about him, and is also uh, mimics the struggle that. Uh, that being a superhero is uh, and like uh, that being a superhero has and it seemed to me like music was sort of an unexplored one um, and being a creative person Robbie keeps talking about having like an investment level and I just knew like you know a lot of the things that you would deal with as being in a rock band are no different than being a comic book artist <laughs> yeah <laughs> in and terms I, of yeah. Like, yeah, we it's we always bring the the analogy together. It's like when you're doing collaborative comics, like it's like being in a f- band. Yeah, like, it is very much like being in a band. Like some, it, it got to the point like some guys just have to play rhythm, and then like uh, some guys, like one point the writer has to be the front man. 
and then there's a point where the artist has to go like, oh, like this time I'm gonna I'm a solo right now, and then pull back a bit, and then after a bit I'm gonna play rhythm, and then the the front man takes over for a bit. Right. It's so very, <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, no, it's very like back and forth with it. Yeah, so in some ways, you know, it was a, it was the idea of like giving Robbie things that I knew he'd be interested in to, in drawing and staying invested in, but also like it was uh, it, it seemed to click pretty easily right away. The idea that like um, <clears throat> you have a character torn between what they want and what they uh, uh, what they should do and what they want. Um, I think that's a, always a dramatically that's always an interesting struggle. Um, and I also liked the idea that since her father is a, a pretty much a conservative police captain, I liked the idea that it was very much a conflict with her dad, but also made her dad less cliche if he had raised his daughter that he is actually supportive, supportive of her musical talent. Mm. Um, it's just the little things I felt like, because I think that's like a much more human um, interaction. I think a lot of times you would, set that up you would set up the idea that like if your father's this conservative lawman that he would probably be you know <laughs> be like foot lo- foot the loose you can't yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah i mean i love that beat where he, you know she's you know running late and he's just like oh you're late to your own show Glenn. like it was just like this little throwaway beat that i thought i don't know that 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 made me really like the captain stacy character you know in terms well, of his reaction know, I have conservative parents and um, I'm a liberal, <laughs> mostly liberal guy and, uh, and I'm an artist obviously. So yeah. like, and I know Robbie's from, and Robbie's from Texas. So he's probably dealt with a lot of the same sort of stuff. Yeah, We, we have the same kind of background in general. So we understand where we come from in general with that conservative parents and then dealing with artists. Like, even then my parents still don't understand what the f- I'm doing in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you extrapolate that to the idea of being a superhero, I think that's a very common, you know, like experience like that. Um, if you have a lot of people that read comics, at least have some sort of artistic leaning or some sort of interest in art. And I think with, <clears throat> if you extrapolate that to the idea that you have to sort of like live internally, um, what would you do if you could put on a mask and, you know, be yourself so to me, like the the idea of her being a drummer in a band is is that like um, <clears throat> one we get to see those those two things sort of on stage, <laughs> literally, and mm-hmm. two we um, <clears throat> we have this idea of like what does the mask do for her personality and what does the the the, the power set you know being a superhero mean to her her. Uh, to her own ambitions and her own life as, as away from being that kind of thing. To sort of put a point on it, I was going to say that I think a lot of uh, times when people try to do new takes on superheroes, they forget that, especially with solo characters, that these characters have to have personal lives. And they have to have struggles within their own lives that uh, reflect what's going on as a superhero. At the end of the day, like to me, the power of being a superhero is that it's kind of a metaphor, you know, or a larger examination of something that goes on in your day-to-day life so all that sort of stemmed from you know the the two-pronged attack of like what is Robbie going to be invested in and what is most interesting on the page Uh, and then I guess it would be a third tier to that idea which is like you know what's something we haven't seen before what's something different than uh, just being a scientist you know yeah 
Yeah, that's what that's like with it, with the, especially Marvel with Marvel Comics. It's just like, all right, let's just attack this and like what haven't been seen before in a Marvel Comics in like the last ten years. There's a lot of that aspect with this book, and that's one huge aspect with Rico coming in, just with the color part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rico was essential. Yeah, you've not seen that in the like in that color palette. You've not seen that in, in a Marvel comic, like I guess even in the last five years. Yeah, especially especially the last the last tail end because I finally saw a print version of the book. The entire thing looks like a uh, flyer for a, uh, a for a band. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely did not want to do a comic about a rock band and then have it, you know, uh, come out looking like anything less than a music, like a cool music video. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of coloring techniques that like could have been applied to this comic that would have really just killed the whole the whole vibe of it. Um, and you know, Robbie and I have both worked pretty uh, hand in hand with Rico over the years, so I knew like that was the, we both knew that was the perfect guy, you know, and and Nick Lowe. You know, God bless him for having the, the foresight to agree. You know, <laughs> and then it, it also held that Rico was actually in a real a real band. Like, no doubt, you used to open up for him, and like early on in his career. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, speaking of music, uh, you know, when, when I read this comic, and as soon as I opened it and saw the band, I was like, I need to put some music on while I read this. Uh, and I'm wondering, like, is there music that you listen to while like? Like coming up with the rhythm for the way this comic reads. I mean, it's very rhythmic. You know, uh, how, how do you feel like you achieved that in both like the writing and the art? I didn't really have a specific um, soundtrack in my head. Honestly, or um, <clears throat> I kept thinking for for some reason I kept, I did keep thinking of the Pixies a lot for some yeah, reason. Yeah, you, you did. I'll sit here for fucking Pixies. It's <laughs> not the fucking Pixies the entire time. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't matter what it is. I think that's the point. I think like the idea is that like if you um That's a good jumping up point for me. Robbie and I are surely gonna bring to it our own versions of what we want yeah. on the page. And I think like if it succeeds, like it has to be um a thing uh, that like a kid can pick up or an adult can pick up that's never heard any of these bands, you know? Um, I think kind of the greatest, the common denominator is, is that like Robbie Rico and I all like music. We might not always completely agree on what we like, but we all have enough experience in like sort of being interested in music that, uh, we could bring that to the project. Um, in terms of the rhythm of it, like in terms of story beats, um, it all just sort of clicked together and lined up that, you know, figure out that the story is about a, a girl who on some was trying to figure out who she is both in and without in and outside the costume. Like where do those two things line up? It felt like there was a real important part of that story where those two things had to sync up for there to be drama. Um, so the the rhythm of it is sort of controlled by the fact that there's a 20 page story, at least from a plot standpoint and a story standpoint, that there's 20 pages and you have to sort of build towards a moment. Um, <clears throat> Robbie, yeah, so a lot of it's like you can you can find a lot of my uh, you can find on Spotify on my uh, if you follow it on my Spotify, it's like the music I was playing for this book. Like there's a lot of the because 
Jason brought like the Pixies, and it was like, it was a good jumping off point. And when I started reading the script quite a bit, it was like, oh, this is not the Pixies. This is this is a girl rock band like G R L Y. This is like the girl white scene from the nineties, which I love. It's just the it's just bikini kills, Kathleen Hanna, the entire thing. So from there, I kind of build off from that, and also I went into uh, it, it got more like if you. Look at the playlist, like it gets more hip hop just to get so I can get the scene back and forth to what the urban city is with it. And that build, uh, the it built the rhythm for that book because there are even scenes like uh, we, me and Jason talked about before that got cut from the book, and there are tracks that had several scenes that I cut out from it because it kind of ruined the uh, the initial rhythm of the book. So if you go through that, you'll see that it's basically just it's just all like uh, you go, it goes from like Kathy Hanna to be to uh, to Bratmobile to fuck, to uh, to a Most Deaf to a Daylight Soul and then it goes back around to it to like the uh, to, and, and it's funny if it, it ends up to like in my playlist it ends up to the Pixies at the very end. Yeah, <laughs> that playlist. It's funny. It's also funny because yeah. I think I, I think I said. Blondie. <laughs> well, well honestly, honestly, like uh, uh, Gwen is based on Deborah Harry. That yeah. initial like look was Deborah Harry. Yeah, just pulled mm. up the script and I said the the just as a descriptor, I said yeah. like think of the Pixies if they were Blondie. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. Sorry, you go. <laughs> oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna. I was just gonna ask. I mean, kind of in the in the same vein i mean you know we're talking about like the 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 rhythm that stems from the music but also i mean how did you hit upon the the kind of the rhythm of the dialogue of this book it's a very distinctive sound to how these characters talk and i mean the fact that i mean you know we're dealing with with teenage or you know early 20 uh women um you know it, it, it there was an authenticity to it and i i just was curious you know what you were hearing in your head to kind of get that down on a page. <laughs> well, if you, ask anybody, if you ask anybody in my life, they'll tell you that I don't listen ever. <laughs> but, but my, that's why I started asking that question. But my superpower, I think, my secret superpower is is that I can talk and listen at the same time. Um, it depends. Uh, I, I listen to, a, you know, I, I know a lot of women in my real life, you know, and... Um, I always joke that, like, you know, I'd much rather talk to women than guys. That, like, I'm a guys, I'm a guys guy that hates guys. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I guess like some of that is just uh, you try to put yourself in the shoes of any of any character you write, and you try to find, you know, sort of what the, you know, what about it that you identify with. You know, um, I think it's kind of a mistake to like go down to the arcade and try to replicate what the kids are saying, you know, I, I can't, I can't remember what writer it was and he's probably a very good writer, but I remember uh, hearing an interview with a writer not uh, when I was younger where he said like, yeah, I just go down to the arcade and <laughs> listen to the kids as they play the ten- teenage ninja turtles. <laughs> and, um, I don't know, you know, you just try to exist in the in the world enough to, to have an ear for it. But then, you know, I think really what it comes down to when you're writing a, um, a comic book is that, like, a lot of it is controlled 
there's a lot of factors that you can't take credit for. You know, one is that like you have a very limited amount of space. So everything that you have to have them say has to reveal characters. So if you're, or, or push the story forward. So, you know, if you really can get yourself in a headspace where you understand the characters, you're just going to be better off in the long run. That way, like, even if you do have a note that's a, a beat of dialogue that's off off a little bit or, you know, maybe sounds too much like another character or yourself, like, you can weather that storm because you understand, like, what you're writing, you know. Um, it's really just as simple, as simple or as complex as you want to make that. Yeah. And you didn't have to be the creep that hung out at the arcade. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. I always joke and say, like, I can't do this. I'm a single mid thirty something guy, so I couldn't do that anyway. I'd look like I'd look Not like George five hundred feet. Yeah, <laughs> look like George Costanza wanting to play on the play. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's funny you bring it up. That's the argument, like at the bar with about that movie Boyhood. Yeah, and then going back to this, like it's like it's someone like 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 he just understand what he's kind of making up a weird language with these kids what he thinks what kids are talking about and like in I've seen that movie in, in Boyhood have you seen that movie yet? no that's the Linkletter movie the Linkletter movie yeah. oh it's f-ing, like terrible even when he goes to the 90s you would never you would, you'll see it's like no one's ever f-ing said that when you're f-ing, like in the 90s <laughs> and they're like just because he just have an understanding what that character or motivation behind uh, behind that language is um, going on. And with Jason's scripts, like, I understand what he was going with. And um, and just like I was saying, same thing he was saying before, like, most of our friends are female. It's like, I'd rather go hang out with a bunch of girls than any of my guys in general. And just for that, like, just learn, learn, seeing that language for the script, that's why I knew we had something at that point. Because, like, all right, he'll give me, like, a certain amount I was like oh I was like oh I know exactly where Jason's coming from this I know where he's gonna go from this and like I I know exactly how to emphasize this to make it even better than what Jason actually planned on the script from there. So uh Robbie mentioned that there were some deleted scenes. I'm insanely curious I have to ask like what kind of things were left on the writing or drawing room floor? Oh the big one is probably there was gonna be an Aunt May scene. Yeah mm. that was a big one. Yeah, um, which, that's something which, which we that, I don't think we should talk, we should talk about. We should keep that in our back pocket. Just yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to give that away. I just know that just would say that there was the not May um, Gwen Stacy meeting. I guess, I guess I guess a fun one we could say oh, like one guys. one de- again just like since we give we're taking that away. It's like a good fun one was the whole like uh, Gwen was gonna talk to uh, her dad and he was she was gonna kind of walk over uh, oh, yeah. a bridge right. over like a bridge over uh, in cam- in a. Uh, in Central Park, she was kind of like as her dad was f-ing dialoguing quite a bit and not paying attention. She was actually going to walk around the bridge, like on the on the f-ing side of it, until she realized <laughs> it. And she like, it's like, oh my god, dad, you don't f-ing actually pay attention to me at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, you, you made kind of a vague reference to holding material uh, for later. What is the future of this character? It, it, has they approached you about it? Can you say anything? Um, there's nothing. There's nothing that we can. Honestly, there's nothing. There's nothing set. Honestly, we've not heard anything yet. Yeah, we're hopeful about it. I've had discussions with my editors about it. Um, I know I certainly want to do more of it, and I feel like Robbie does too, and I know Rico does. And I've, you know, just, we have, we have just to be prepared. Yeah, just, set, in case, just in case we we've had like we've been just talked about. We have enough like. 
enough stories in her back pocket just in case if something happens. Yeah, just to be prepared, I've sort of fleshed out, you know, at least a year. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, you don't want to get... When something's this fresh in your head, it, it can become pretty pretty all-consuming if you let it. So um, I'm trying to to lay down enough track um, behind the scenes that, you know, were we to pick it up and start running with it, like it won't be like starting from scratch. But I also want to have it, you know, we both would probably want it to be pretty organic. Um, yeah. So... I mean, much like this first issue, like this one shot, it was very organic the entire time. Like we treat it as just a organic one shot. Like we just, we just want to do a fun story the entire time. And that's if me and Jason Rico want to do another one, I kind of want. We, I think we all want to treat it that way. It's a very like it's a very organic entity in itself. Sure. Yeah. Are yeah. you guys familiar with uh, uh, like the Spider Girl uh, from uh, DeFalco and Friends? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Just curious. Um, yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I, I, I always wanted to like it a little bit more than I did, and that's not because I—that's not really a comment on the quality of it. It's just that I, as a kid, um, had different tastes. If, if that book was coming out now, I might love it. You know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I had pretty trash taste sometimes when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, but I do like that that book sort of set a precedent, you know. Um, I think it's really interesting that you you have these sort of um, alternate reality versions of Spider-Man uh, that sort of work really well, like conceptually. I mean, speaking for them, not for us. I can't speak about our own book that way. <laughs> but they, you know, oh, they work not. conceptually, and they and they, you know, that book had a hundred issues. That's pretty crazy, yeah. Uh, yeah. especially given the publishing the stuff Marvel was publishing at the time, like it, I think it weathered like all that clone Wars stuff and all kinds of stuff. Um, a hundred issues is a long run. And I think you got to kind of tip your hat to, to that, whether or not you read it or not, you know? Sure. Um, yeah, I was aware of it. And I always liked the idea of Spider-Man's daughter, um, sort of carrying on the whole. Uh, so I think like it was probably a subconscious influence. Hmm. Um, You know, I probably would have never put my finger on it unless you, like, brought it up. I I do know I wanted to do something, that I wanted us to do something that was different than that. Um, And different than Ultimate Spider-Man and different than um, all the other sort of... uh, Different, but yet not so far removed that it's not Spider-Man, you know? Sure. Um and hopefully we'll get to do more of that, you know. Um, I think like it's a, it's a really neat era that we're in, where um, like the knock on superhero comics used to always be that like that they were just like male empowerment issues, and they were about muscles and controlling people and all that kind of stuff. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I always thought that that was that was always the thing people would bandy about. I think it's really interesting that uh, more and more you see like. These these comics become about empowerment of like women. Um, I think it adds a whole new flavor and a whole new sort of slant on everything that happens in these books, and it sort of revitalizes a lot of these uh, <clears throat> sort of dusty corners of of what of the Marvel universe or the DC universe or what have you. 
Yeah, I think it's not. It's not just for like empowerment women. It's just more just treating them as just everyone as people. In right. Terms. Exactly. Yeah. We yeah. didn't. We didn't set out to do some like sort of like grand statement on feminism or uh, you know or to to wave the flag for equality as much as we just tried to do something that was fair and fair and even handed down the middle. Yeah. You know, telling as a story, and I yeah. think that's really like as. Two men, three men making a comic about a young girl. That's the only way that we can approach it. It's not really our our um, <clears throat> mission to have, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because we can, we can, like as far as that female power, we can only stretch it so far. Just as, again, like as being just three males, we can yeah. only like understand so much. But you can, but you can, but, 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 but you can produce it in the same way that you would produce any other kind of story. You know, you like I don't know what it's really like to be a cop. But I have to put myself in the shoes of a cop in order to write a cop yeah. and draw a cop. And yeah, I think that's the same approach here. Yeah, at the same time, like uh, we, again, with Jason, like in with like Rico, he can attest to this. Like we've had so many like, like empowering female figures in our lives that we can incorporate this into our stories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> um, well, I don't know if this is the most empowering question, but. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> Uh, bad, bad transition. But I, but I, I feel like a, a story like this begs it. So I'm just going to throw this out here: Gwen or MJ? And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean Gwen. MJ, you know, you're, you're, well, yeah. It's obviously, Gwen. That's your Marianne question, pretty much. <laughs> MJ is really is kind of is pretty interesting to me, though. Like I think that like that was. One of the reasons why we wanted to keep her around is that I think, like, there is an interesting, um, like, all these characters gain a new context without Peter. Um, like, Peter, like, I, Peter, every, in, the, in these old stories, a lot of the ones that sort of seem to go off track, at least in terms of the, um, the women in his life, it, it starts to become where they're very reactive to him or put into situations where, um, <clears throat> where only he can, where it only impacts him. I think it becomes completely different. Things gain a new context when he's removed from the picture. And now we're kind of free to explore like who, who Gwen or Mary Jane, glory or Betty like might be without, the burden of like the meta, the, the bigger fiction, the, the, the external burden of the way people approach spider. It's, it's more about like the reader coming into the project than it is like what's going within the pages. Cause you can do an interesting win or an interesting Mary Jane or an interesting glory within like a Spider-Man comic <laughs> very easily. Uh, and a lot of people have done, but I think that there's a baggage that a reader brings to a book that has Spider-Man on the, as Spider-Man on the cover, you know, um, that when you remove that, like you're sort of, you're freed up to do other things. It's the Beck Dell test, the comic book. <laughs> no, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, you know, like you, the fact that he's not in the book anymore means that you can, um, you know, you can go, in a direction that like you might not accept with him. Sure. That fact that he was the lead means just by virtue of whether he's a man or not, like the lead is who the story is supposed to be about. Sure. Um, And so like now that he's removed, like, you know, the lead is Gwen and, and that allows for like 
MJ or, or the other girls in the band to be developed in a way that they, that they wouldn't necessarily be developed before. I mean, they can be, I was going to say you could remove the romantic side of it, but who knows? <laughs> you know? um, that's what I think makes it exciting. Right. I hope so. Anyway. I mean, it's, it's different aspects that we can, like, uh, play around with the fact that Peter's not a essential factor. Like, we can just, we can actually, like, use these girls as individuals, pretty much, and just deconstruct the characters that people perceive them on. And, you know, like, we're like, oh, all right, let's, uh, let's take this in this direction. Like, we understand the aspect of what MJ is. So, like, all right, she does this and this. Like, let's play with that. Is that and spy- I, was is that spider dog behind you? Yeah. <laughs> that spider dog. Yeah. <laughs> That's the that's a, we're gonna do that book too. Yeah. <laughs> we need like a Scooby Doo version of Spider Man. I don't I even should've. I don't even know if that's been done necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I should have I pitched that. <laughs> I know, we were talking earlier. It's like just don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, if if people read, you know, these people who read Spider Man comics read your work here and were turned on by. By your writing and your artwork, where can we find more of your guys' work if uh, people want to check more of you out? Go ahead, Robert. Uh, you can find me at uh, com, and you can just follow me at uh, Twitter on RobertRodriguez.com. Uh, yeah, I'm on everything. <laughs> I'm on, like, even like Hot or Not and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can find me on Adult Friend Finder. Uh, <laughs> uh, do, uh, do, do a singles. J date Ashley Madison. Yeah. Um, I want everything, right. any social media aspect you can find me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jason, you, Jason, are you in the hot or not column? Uh, <laughs> I think it's. I'm in the. I, I vote for hot. <laughs> <laughs> like I've loaded my own. I go and vote for myself. Like every hour on the hour. Um, <laughs> no, I. You can find me. Just Google my name or my name. You know, I'm Jason Latour on everything. What a, what a, what a prank. It's like, just Google me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's the you easiest know the rest. Way. You know, like I'm on Twitter and Instagram and uh, Facebook and all that stuff just under my name, uh, Jason Latour. What about your guys' creative works? Um, uh, okay, Jason, no, it's like, like, like I do my uh, webcom freaking get your gun, but honestly, you guys should go go pick up uh, Southern Bastards with Jason and, Jason and uh, Jason Aaron. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm working on. Uh, me and Jason Aaron are doing a book that is completely different than Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's about old rednecks beating yeah. each other up with sticks. <laughs> also, if you get if that's you the fu- Bechdel test. <laughs> yeah, that's the exact um, uh, Go find uh, Luke Sands also by Jason and, uh, and Chris Bruner and Rico. Thanks, man. Great. And yeah, and Robbie just did FBP. So like, while we're you know. Throwing out a mutual love fest there, like yeah. two volumes of FBP, and it's really great stuff uh, from him and Rico there. Awesome, and maybe rednecks beating each other up is in Gwen's future too. You never, yeah, know. we could. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Actually, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what's 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 the character from the the Jerry Conway spectacular run? banjo, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> At, Jason Aaron was here this weekend for a signing, and he bought me. Uh, like he was flipping through uh, the back issues and uh, he bought me an issue of Spider-Man with, um, <clears throat> with a razor back in it. Cause he knows how much I love razor back. <laughs> that is so funny. Cause I just wrote an article about razor back on my site this week. Cause I love razor back too. 
Yeah, I think he's ridiculous, but I love him. You have no idea how much Jason loves Razorback. We've been trying to figure out a story with Razorback for the longest time. <laughs> if it's not Razorback or Stegron, I, you won't find me near it. Oh, yeah. I just love that his mutant power is he can drive. <laughs> yeah. But na- now he doesn't have that power, so he's just a strong dude. Yeah, well, maybe we'll see uh, Razorback in the... Uh, uh, some spider Gwen if we get to come back to it <laughs> if that if that's a pitch you know i've never heard a good pitch before but that's a pitch yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, oh yeah. man <laughs> well thanks so much for joining us guys yeah no sweat man thanks, thanks for having much. us awesome well uh, we hope to have you on again real soon to talk more spider Gwen. maybe yeah, yeah hopefully so. cool thanks you guys So, yeah, thanks again to Jason and Robbie for coming on the show. That was a lot of fun and, and you know, truly, truly lives up to the name of Spider Talk and their amazing friends. Right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. Two great guys coming on our show. Nothing better Man. than that. Yeah. <laughs> We're living the dream, Dan. This is what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that we get to see more Spider Gwen in the future. Absolutely. Well, we have to wait till what? Amazing Spider-Man number nine at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when she's coming back. But not written by them, uh, written by Dan Slott. So we'll see how the character uh, is handled. Absolutely. So where can we find the rest of our podcast, Dan? Well, of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider-Talk and old Superior Spider-Talk podcasts at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com or find us on iTunes by searching Amazing Spider-Talk. And if you do... Please leave us a rating and comment and let us know how we're doing and we'll read it on the air. And if you have any opinions about Spider-Gwen or any questions, uh, please make sure to email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com and we'll address and read them on the air. Yeah, and also be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages at Facebook.com slash SuperiorSpiderTalk and Facebook.com slash ChaseAndAmazing because they're pretty cool places to keep up with us in between shows. You know, we put up the articles, Dan gives away codes. I, 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 I'm kind of being cheap about that for free comics, but, you know, maybe I'll change my mind. Uh, so, you, you know, go to Facebook and you can see if I change my mind. You can do it, Mark. I have faith in you. Uh, I appreciate that. Well, you know, uh, maybe I'd be more incentivized if we had more people who checked out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. That is that is the Members Club where if you donate some of your hard-earned cash, yeah, we give you free comic codes. We might uh, actually do some listener request episodes. Don't forget to check out the most le- recent listener request episode that we did. And, of course, you can find the uh, the button to donate to the friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club on both of our homepages. Mark, where can we find you on the Internet? Yes, well, you can find me at ChasingAmazingBlog.com, which documents my quest to collect every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, down to one, of course. And you can find me on Twitter, at ChasingASMBlog. And you can find some of my other comic book writing on ComicBook.com, and comics should be good. Great. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at at Dan Gavazin or my Spider-Man Twitter account at at SupSpiderTalk and read all my Spider-Man writing at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Mark, 
I, I hear there's some whispers on the wind. Yeah, well, you know, um, as as Captain Stacy once told Gwen, with great podcasts, there must also come amazing spider talk. <laughs>